invite you to turn uh, with me in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, and you can turn in the back of your worship guide at the same time if you would like to, to a sermon notes section you'll find there. I want to take a a minute. We've had some full weeks the last few weeks with uh, various baptisms and new members joining and other things going on. We'll pause this week just to remember where we are, where we've come in this journey through our series in the book of Mark. Believe it or not, we're nearing the halfway point in our in our sermons through Mark. And you'll remember that our, our main goal here, Mark's main goal for us, is to see the glory of Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly The beauty of the gospel, the message that he's come to save sinful people like me and like you, and to bring us into his kingdom, a kingdom that is already being built, already going out in this world, and it extends into eternity. And we saw as we look at who Jesus is and seek to see him more clearly, we saw in the first chapter of Mark, you'll recall, that Jesus fulfills all that the Old Testament prophets proclaimed and fulfills all that we need for our salvation. He has power to do that. We saw that Jesus has power and loving authority as well to call disciples, to call people like you and me out of lives lived just for self or for purposelessness and to be called to him and to see our lives as followers of Jesus. We saw in chapter 2 of Mark that Jesus comes, and in his loving authority, he heals with his physical touch, and he heals spiritually with the gift of forgiveness. We saw that Jesus also welcomes in, extends the grace of his love to even one like the tax collector, who might have deemed himself the least likely to have been able to receive that grace, and perhaps even those around him might have deemed him that way. Yet Jesus shows that authority to forgive even the worst of sinners. We saw that Jesus bids us to grow in him, to see more of him through tasting, savoring him, through spiritual discipline of fasting. About a month and a half ago, we looked at that. To rest in him through the practice of the Sabbath, of having a day of rest. And then last week, we saw that Jesus blesses us with the word, with his truth that planted in our lives, transforms and bears fruit in us. 30, 60, even 100 fold. That's where we've been. Today we turn to this passage, a short one, and perhaps a familiar one, maybe even more familiar than any of the other ones we've looked at, that speaks to us about Jesus' loving authority over the storms that we face in our lives. And ultimately, his loving authority and ability to speak peace about the greatest storm that threatens us, the judgment that we deserve for our fallenness. He's able to speak peace, be still, to even that greatest storm. I invite you then, with that in mind, to stand with me in recognition of the honor and holiness and perfection of God's Word. I'll read aloud, and you read along with me silently. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, 
Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? may be seated, and as you do, let me pray. Oh, Father God, we pray now that you would take this word and minister into our lives with it. For whatever storms we are facing, let us hear from you today. Peace. Be still. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you'll find, I believe, at the beginning of the Worship Guide Sermon Note section, Oswald Chambers, uh, known most for writing the daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, makes this profound statement that I want us to think about today, and if you don't take anything else away from this sermon time, to meditate upon this. He says, The remarkable thing about fearing God. He means having reverence and awe for God. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Think about that for a minute. Listen again. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God... You fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. As we turn to these verses today, and indeed you'll find this noted in your worship guide as well, I think there's one main thing that Jesus wants to communicate to us today as a church family, and that is that Jesus has authority over all the storms that we would face and do face. And so when we worry, when we fear, and we do, we can turn to Jesus. We can turn to Jesus and find that He speaks peace, be still into those situations. And we can think of all kinds of things. Uh, It could be anything in our life that we want or desire when we're asking Jesus for it and he doesn't seem to be responding, doesn't seem to be alert to our need, what happens? 
get frustrated, don't we? Get a little upset. Maybe get a little anxious. Maybe even a lot frustrated, anxious, and upset. But that's true in general. It's certainly true for the storms we face when the waves seem to be crashing in. When we're facing great difficulty, frustration, anxiety level rises. All the more when Jesus, if we're honest, doesn't just seem to be asleep in the boat. He seems to be asleep at the wheel. And I don't know what you're wrestling with today or have been wrestling, and certainly none of us know what we'll wrestle with tomorrow or in the weeks ahead. They may be great things that you are struggling with today. You think about the myriad of issues that we struggle with just on a regular basis that elicit fear, that come in like waves crashing against the boat of our lives. Difficulties at our jobs. Difficulties in relationships. Struggles or frustrations in our family life. The waves, the crashing in of the battle day to day with sin. To seek to walk in righteousness. That struggle can feel like waves. The waves of what people think of us, their opinion of us. The concern of waves, waves of concern about our health, how our physical well-being is. All of these things come at us as storms, and we have an opportunity in them to turn to Jesus, but it so often seems that he's asleep, and we're so reluctant to turn to him for help. Not just true for us individually, but true for us as a church family, isn't it? We face difficulties as a church body along the way. It might be someone in our church family that's hurting or struggling in a particular way. It might be the ups and downs of the church finances week in and week out. It might be a struggle with particular sin issue or division in our church body. Those things come as waves against us and can build fear, anxiety. It's not just the things that happen to us, though, as a church family. It's the opportunities before us can feel like waves, can't they? Opportunities, we'll probably have one in a few weeks here leading into Easter to go and do something that gets us out of our comfort zone, knocking on a door and handing people a little information about our worship service and inviting them to come to Easter. That can feel like a big wave for some of us. Opportunities to Go on a mission trip or consider going on a mission trip. Opportunities that are before us as a church for our next step and meeting space and land needs. All those things are things that are opportunities but can build a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. I believe it was Milton who said this, The mind is its own place. And can make heaven of hell or hell of heaven. The mind is its own place and can make heaven of hell or hell of heaven. What he's saying is this. There doesn't even need to be anything going on. Nothing even needs to be happening out in the world. Right inside here we can create waves, can't we, if we choose to do so. Well, these verses... Give us wonderful 
hope people today. As we look first at who Jesus is, what they tell us about the person of Jesus, and then specifically what we can learn about how to find security, peace, comfort at a very deep level in Him. What do these verses tell us about Jesus? Well, one thing that's emphasized here, interestingly, is the humanity of Jesus. We know, if we know anything about the Christian faith, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we see that here. We see in other passages that he eats, that he weeps, that he experiences some range of human emotion. Here we see he's tired. He's been ministering to people. And so tired that he gets in a boat and a storm's going on and he's sleeping. He's resting. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses we see there. And yet this is precisely what the disciples are concerned about. While he is resting, showing himself to be fully human and therefore sympathetic to what we're going through, they need him. They need his power. They need his deity. We see that here in spades as well. Colossians 1 uh, speaks to the power and deity of Christ. And I'm going to highlight a few different verses for us today because there is so much in the Scriptures that surrounds these verses. Colossians 1 declares this about the Lord Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things in in him all things hold together. Okay, keep that in mind. If you want to turn with me, you can to Psalm 65. We could go through a number of psalms along these lines, but I'll try to keep our time rolling along this morning. Psalm 65, beginning in verse 5. Listen to what the psalmist declares about the Lord God. And look at the parallels here to Jesus in our passage, he's not just doing a impressive magic trick by stopping this storm. He's declaring something about who he is. Psalm 65, verse 5 says, By awesome deeds you, God, answer us with righteousness, O God, our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult. Of the peoples. Psalm 107 uh, similarly speaks to God's sovereignty over the seas, and we see Jesus as the divine one, even in these verses. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. The people's courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Sound familiar? And he delivered them from their distress. 
He made the storm be still, and the waves of the seas were hushed, and they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Jesus isn't just doing an oppressive act here in Mark, folks. He is demonstrating once again his divine status and his ability to sovereignly reign over even the wind and the seas. Imagine just for a minute, folks, think back to uh, a little less than a year ago on that horrible, difficult day when tornadoes hit our state all across. And we've all seen the videos, particularly of Tuscaloosa and 15th Street and all that happened there. And we can't do a whole sermon about that, but imagine, just picture those videos and images you have seen of that tornado rolling down 15th Street. And imagine a man, the God-man, Jesus, standing and telling that wind to stop. And in our passage today, telling the waters as well, be still. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't pray, God, would you take care of this thing? He doesn't. He speaks to it. With his word, he stops the waves and the wind. Folks, I hope we take great encouragement from that today. Now, there's the difficulty of the reality that God allows storms in our lives. And there's all kinds of reasons he does that. We're going to talk about it in a few, minute, few minutes. But hear this very clearly. Jesus rules and reigns over whatever we're facing in our lives. Those things can't thwart him. They can't defeat him. He rules and reigns over them. That's what we learn about Jesus. What do we learn about how we can have security? Hopefully we're already starting to see that, but let's jump into some of the specifics of the passage. One of the things that we see that happens in these storms, and it doesn't explain all the difficulties, and I don't, again, I don't know what each person in here has been through or is going through. And, and, and the Bible doesn't make light of that, and, and I'm not at all today either. But the reality is that one of the things that Jesus is doing in that difficulty, if we would embrace it, is he wants us to draw closer to him, to learn to call upon him. And he's teaching these disciples in this boat to learn to come to him and ask him to do a work, just as he desires for us to do that. To learn to walk in dependence, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in my weakness... I was made strong. It's actually in our weakness that we're made strong. We walk through life. Things go smoothly. We even call it, don't we, smooth sailing. Things go smoothly for us all the time. It's very hard for us to learn to be dependent upon the living God. And he cares more about that than he does about our comfort day to day. We see that in these verses. We see that he draws us closer to him. We also see that he helps us to deal with our worry. What's our main response to fear and waves and things coming in is we worry. We fuss about it. We can worry about just about anything. 
And Jesus reminds us elsewhere in Scripture, another passage for us, if you want to turn to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 25. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying God made your life. God made your body. So isn't he going to figure out how to take care of the other? Look at the birds, he says, of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Good question. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But what? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just reminding us of the same thing that Dr. Stanley Jones said. I think this is in your worship guide as well. I like the way he puts it. And forgive me, I know we all struggle with worry, but sometimes it's good to be chided a little bit in our worry and reminded a little bit of the silliness of it in the face of the glory of God. He says, worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. Constantly drains the energy that God gives us to face daily problems, to fulfill our responsibilities. It's therefore a sinful waste. And then he says this, I'm inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. And anxiety And worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. People of God, let's breathe freely today as we know that we have this loving Lord Jesus reigning over our lives and His capacity to speak peace be still. Let us be comforted. Or we can turn to other passages of Scripture that remind us that God indeed at points like Hebrews 12 tells us will allow, will bring difficulty in our lives precisely because He loves us, wants us to draw close to Him. The book of Job reminds us that God even allows Satan to get in and mess quite a bit with Job's world. And yet it is true and not merely trite what Romans 8:28 says to us that God works all things for good 
doesn't say all things are going to feel good. doesn't say all things are going to be good. God works, though, all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I like what Arthur Rank, a business executive in England, did. He decided that he was going to do all of his worrying for the week on one day, Wednesday. In the afternoon, he would get out each week a little box he had, and he had a little tablet of paper in there, and he would write down everything that he was worried about, everything that was on his mind, everything causing him fear that he needed to trust the Lord with. And he would fold it up and put it back in the box. And his goal was to try to make it to the next Wednesday without worrying or being anxious about those things. And you know what was interesting he said when he opened that back box back up the next week? Almost all of the things had taken care of themselves and resolved themselves. That's true, isn't it? One person uh, quantified it. I don't know if this is true, but said that the things we worry about, about 40% of them will never happen. 30% of them are things in our past that we can't change. How often do we spend fearing and worrying about things in the past? 12% are criticism by others that probably are mostly untrue. 10% of our worrying is about our health. You know what happens when you get stressful about your health? (laughs) Your health gets worse. Not good to be stressed. And 8%, this person says, are actual problems that you might have to face in your life. We worry, and yet Jesus speaks peace to us. The Old Testament spoke peace in that blessing we're familiar with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace, peace we're to have as the people of God because of Jesus' work. John 14, a couple more passages and then we will uh, close. John 14 says this, speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministers these things to us in verse 25 of John 14. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. We like to reference that verse as a way to say, okay, God, the Holy Spirit's going to help us understand God's Word in general. Very true. Guess what it's specifically referring to? Right after those uh, verses I just read, in John 14, verse uh, 27, what does he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your, not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What do we do with our fear? Bring our fear to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We looked at earlier. Don't be anxious about anything. But what? With prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what are those waves that you're facing today? 
storms that are brewing in your life, or some of them maybe even in your own mind, waves being created and coming in. What are we doing with those waves, those fears, those storms? Jesus invites us to bring them to him, to call upon him and let him speak peace, be still. And folks, he demonstrates his full commitment to that. I like what Karl Barth says. We wouldn't agree with all his theology, but he's right on track with this statement. The Easter message tells us, folks, as we come into Easter in a few weeks, think about this, that our enemies, sin, death, and the curse are beaten. Ultimately, they can no longer start mischief. They still behave, though, as if the game were not decided, the battle not fought. We must reckon with them, but fundamentally, we must cease to fear them anymore. People of God, Jesus doesn't just have the capacity to deal with the day-to-day worries, with even the big fears and waves we're facing. The Bible reminds us that he deals with the biggest wave, the wave of God's just condemnation and judgment that all of us outside of the love of Christ deserve. And Jesus is taking care of that. And he speaks a word from the cross in preparation for his resurrection is similar to our passage today. It's a short little sentence that he speaks from the cross. It is finished. Because that is finished, all other things in life are taken care of by Jesus. Let me read this passage and then we'll pray and conclude. A passage from Romans uh, chapter 8. I can get there today. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. These are some people that are facing a storm. Paul reminds them, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you that you, oh, Lord God, speak peace, be still into our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to be a people 
who experienced that peace, that that element of your grace and blessing would be an overflow of us, Lord, that you would drive out of our lives the spirit, the posture of worry and fear, that we might walk and breathe our native air, faith, confidence in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.